here we are, brother. Another classic uh, session for everybody to digest. This time we have a sports conspiracy expert. Actually, he's like the sports conspiracy guy, Mr. Brian Tui. I'm excited for this one, dude. When I looked him up, uh, the title that I saw was Supreme Court Scholarly Authority on Sports Fixing. And uh, yeah, I'm excited for this one, too, because... My dad's a big sports fan. A lot of my friends are big sports fans. I've, I've uh, gotten into it with them before saying how fixed everything is. And uh, hopefully I sound good because I'm going to give myself a little humble brag being so bad with technology. I finally got the computer and microphone set up despite uh, weeks of Mike trying to help me out. I think I finally did the bare minimum here. So hopefully I'm sounding good. Do you sound great? Something, something uh, that I've been using to, you know, try and sway people into thinking that sports is fake or fixed or whatever it has to do with some numerology shit that i uncovered last year from a page that would post about that type of stuff so here i'm going to tell you about it too this is super um, crazy lebron last season was about to break kareem abdul jabbar's record after the record had been standing for 38 years and uh lebron was 38 years old last year when he was going to do it it was on the 38th day of the year, 308 days after the 38th year anniversary of that record. To break the record, LeBron would have surpassed 38,388 career points. And the guy who posted this said, Wild Guess scores LeBron. Wild Guess says LeBron scores 38 points. How many fucking points do you think LeBron scored that game? 38. <laughs> no, he didn't. Yes. And then they added to it. Kareem set the record in the 38th NBA season, and then LeBron was born 38 weeks after that record. Come on. I know. So I don't know if our guest is a numerology guy. I know he focuses mostly on, you know, how sports are fixed and ways that they could be fixed. But uh, yeah, I'm going to definitely bring that up to him, see what he thinks. Yeah. I think that's just so nuts, dude. Dude, that is fucking one of the craziest things I've ever heard in any kind of conspiracy ever, let alone sports. I, I mean, uh, I've seen a lot going on or going around with people talking about how every year the Super Bowl logo has like two shades of color on it. And it's the, the teams that end up inevitably being in the Super Bowl. And that's like a, I don't know, a foreshadowing or a nod to it being fixed. I think even Aaron Rodgers was talking about it, which is kind of crazy. You can't put anything past... I mean, okay, nothing is sacred. I, I heard him when I was doing some research for this episode or for this session. I heard Brian Tui say, listen, there's corruption in everything. There's corruption in politics, government. There's corruption in the school system. There's corruption in, in, in Fortune 500 companies and everything. Why would you think that sports is the one exception? When you put it like that, it's like it really clicks, even for the people that kind of want to think that sports is like this sacred domain that, you know, yeah, there's there's corruption in all those areas, but not not sports, not sports. not in the billions dollars entertainment business. Right. Right. <laughs> well, uh, yeah. Housekeeping, everybody, uh, if you're digging what we're putting out there. Follow us on all the social medias, whether it's Twitter, X, Facebook, Instagram, Patreon, YouTube, all that good stuff. We did finally get the podcast up on YouTube. However, episode number... Our first uh, strike. Yeah, session nine. The most recent one that Tom and I did, we got a little strike and they removed it from YouTube because of um, 
misinformation. So I'm going to re-edit that part out, try to repost it, and see if um, if YouTube will accept that. But either way, you could still get that session number nine available on all the other streaming platforms. So check that out. Patreon, we're still working on. We're going to get that up and running. But you can be one of the very first syndicate members. And uh, yeah, any show ideas, questions, concerns, comments, whatever, shoot us an email, conspiracyandchill at yahoo.com. And uh, got anything else, Ben? Not going to lie, I consider that uh, that strike after just about not even 24 hours of being on YouTube a bit of a badge of honor that we're doing something right if the, <laughs> the powers that be are already putting the sensor ban on us. Dude, not even 24 hours. What do you say? Okay, so yesterday I applied for a YouTube podcast license thing. I got accepted, and it said it, that it'll be within 24 hours or so that they'll tell me or that they'll shoot me an email and um, basically give me the go-ahead that I'm okay to post podcasts. Well, I got that email, I guess, sometime in the middle of the night. I woke up this morning, and the email was there. So when I got to work this morning, I ate breakfast, and then shortly after that, about 7 o'clock, I proceeded to work my way through all of the um, the red tape and bullshit that I had to do to get the podcast up on YouTube. And I would say maybe around 8.30 is when the podcasts were uploading to YouTube. So you're talking roughly four or five hours. <laughs> it was up there, bro. <laughs> yeah. The algorithm's out to get us already. I mean, shit. We really didn't even hit any crazy, you know, topics. We... I don't want to get this one struck, but, you know, we just talked a little bit about some of the, the fuckery that went on in the year of 2020, if you, if you know what I'm saying. If we want to stay up on YouTube, we're going we're gonna to have to get some code words going. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we're going to have to figure that out. Or we could just do, like like I said, the Mario, the Mario jump noise or, you know. Yeah, I like that. That's always a good one. I can't really think of anything else, I guess. Should we just uh, let him hear the conversation we have with Brian Tui? Enjoy. Yeah, welcome to the show, man. Conspiracy and chill. When it comes to sports conspiracies, man, you're pretty much the guy. As far as I know, yeah, I think I'm the <laughs> only one doing this. So, I mean, I'm sure there's other there's a lot of people on YouTube who do something similar, um, but a lot of them copy what I've done and don't give me credit for it. And at the same time, a lot of them just throw anything and everything up against the wall just kind of to see what sticks. And so what I try to do and what I always try to do is prove my point through research and through quotes and talking to people and gathering as much information as I can and trying to connect the dots. So it's a different way of doing things. And I want to say it's a more scholarly way of doing things, but it's a more legitimate way of doing things than just saying, oh, this is this because and not having it really evidence to back up what you're saying. Mm. And, and anybody who has read any of your books, whether it's uh, the Fix is in, Larceny Games, uh, Season in the Abyss, and The Fix is still in, knows that is, uh, that's that's not just words you're saying, that's really the approach that you take. You are really all about evidence, so um, I, I do appreciate that. Yeah, it's, it's, like I say, it's one thing to just say it and spout off, well, I think this is fixed because, but it's another thing to actually prove your point through, like you say, through evidence and research. What got you into wanting to study and research sports conspiracies? <laughs> kind of happened by accident, to be honest. <laughs> it's kind of <laughs> funny. Um, I really, I went to school to be a screenwriter. And I tried doing that for a long time. And I had 
minor success, although I'd never had anything uh, produced, but I had a manager out in Hollywood and that sort of thing. Um, but my wife was telling me basically write a book. And the first kind of idea I had in my head was this sports conspiracy idea. Cause I, it was a book like I wanted to read, but nobody had written before. So I kind of took it upon myself to write that book. And that's what became the fixes in. And as I kind of started doing some promotion and that sort of thing on into it, I realized nobody was talking about this subject. Nobody was talking about game fixing or the possibility of game fixing, whether it's from an entertainment standpoint or from a gambling standpoint, it seemed to be just a big void. And so I kind of stepped into that open hole and uh, did what I could to fight the good fight. Man, there's so many things I want to want to ask you and talk to you about. Yeah. Um, you know, Tom Same. comes from a wrestling background, a, uh, not a pro wrestling, but like I said, a, a catch wrestling background. And I come from a, a mixed martial arts journalist background. There's no shortage of conspiracies and avenues we can take. But the one thing I, I wanted to ask you right off the jump is recently, a couple of days ago, you had retweeted a still frame from a news broadcast that somehow already knew who was going to be in the Super Bowl. What is going on yeah. with that, dude? Uh, well, that's one of those weird things that could just be a one-off accident. Um, it just so happened that whatever the newscast was, I think it was actually somewhere in Canada. Although I think the um, tweet that I referenced said it was in Memphis or something like that. I don't remember. But basically in the... The news broadcast, they said the halftime show for the Super Bowl is going to feature Usher and these other artists, and the Super Bowl is going to be played between San Francisco 49ers and the Baltimore Ravens, which, as we know, as we're talking right now, that hasn't happened yet, although both teams are still alive. And so a lot of people jumped on that. I had a lot of people send that to me either through email or my Twitter account or what have you and say, hey, did you see this? And, I mean, there's been other cases where, you know, things have jumped the gun and they've said oh you know this team's they're going to be the champion or whatever and sometimes it proves to be right and sometimes it proves to be wrong it could be just one of those things where like whoever was doing the news broadcast had to fill in the blanks and they didn't really think about the blanks they were filling in when they did that or maybe they don't it, we'll find out soon enough right yeah we will and that that was that was tweeted before Either of those teams had won that week too, so yeah, True. I don't, I don't know, man. It's crazy. I know you got some stuff, but to they me. were both the number one seed, so I mean, True. you know, I try not to see those are the kind of things I try not to read too much into, you yeah. know, because that's that could just be a coincidence, uh, like I say, a one-off, a happenstance thing. But you know, when you dig into the subject, there's more to it than just something like that, for sure. Yeah, I was, I was going to say, I'm sure you've seen the uh, talk lately of people citing the logos, how the logos will have mm -hmm. like a tint of two colors and be like, oh, this is foreshadowing which teams are going to be in. And this year features red and purple. So, yeah, that's that? another one that's the past two Super Bowls that did seem to play out, though. <laughs> that's the interesting thing with the logos is that the colors within the Roman numerals did seem to match the uh, two teams that wound up playing. Like last year's was kind of green and red and we had the Chiefs playing the Eagles and I forgot was the year before um, what the colors were, but it matched the two teams as well. So, you know, and that's almost one reason I think almost for sure that it's not going to be the Niners and the Ravens because that became, again, that was another thing that kind of trended on Twitter for a while, like before I think even the playoffs started. And I think the NFL, I know the NFL is aware 
of what I've done. And I know the NFL is aware, really aware of things like hashtag NFL rigged Twitter. I uh, will say this much. I can remember a game when Peyton Manning was on the Broncos and uh, it was like, it was either the AFC championship or the game just before and they were playing the Ravens and it was like the the final play of the game or what should have been and the Broncos threw up like a Hail Mary and the defender like you, you said obvious and I was like it couldn't get any more obvious than this when I was watching it at the time the cornerback was barely covering the guy and like it was he should have been double triple covered they were throwing a Hail Mary to win the game and the guy like botched it so bad he like jumped way ahead of the time and there's no way the guy misjudged it to that level i was like holy crap that was that was completely fixed like that's just one of the moments i can recall i don't know if either of you guys remember that exact moment but that was extremely suspect i don't uh, remember that one distinctly but there's been so many plays by players and calls by referees over the i mean i started doing this like 15 or so years ago there's so many of them and that's the part that i think fans should wake up to is you know if it happened once a year or once every two years you say okay well that was a bad play that was a bad call but when you see it week after week and it seems to benefit certain teams over other teams all the time and those same teams are tied to the main storylines that the league and their broadcast partners are pushing that's when you start going well wait a second is this just a happy accident or is this controlled is this being manipulated is it what the NFL and the broadcast, you know, networks want because that's what's going to drive fans to the games and that's what's going to make everybody money. Yes. Oh, yeah. Just like when they had Ray Lewis's last season ends in a Super Bowl. They had the Harbaugh brothers uh, perfectly lined up to make it to the Super Bowl. I, oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Peyton Manning go out on top in Super right. Bowl 50. You had Jerome Bettis in the home Super Bowl in Detroit. You had the Saints after Hurricane Katrina. I mean, you could go on and on. There's so many storylines that have come true that, you know, that's why I started doing this is I saw too many coincidences that seemed to benefit the league. And I said, you know, I don't believe in coincidences when it's tied to a billion dollars or more. Yeah. <laughs> it's no longer a coincidence. It's a business plan. Sure is. One of, one of my favorite storylines, and I predicted it too, was uh, it was September 11th, you know, 2001, that horrible day that we all remember. But uh, who won that year's Super Bowl? The Patriots. And they came out of nowhere because they weren't like this juggernaut powerhouse team. As a matter of fact, they beat the greatest show on turf. They had no business winning that game, you know? No. So, yeah, Well, and that was interesting. Well, because it was interesting, too, for that is because of what happened on 9-11 and how America changed immediately after. I mean, people forget that the NFL changed the logo of the Super Bowl after that to become a more patriotic thing you know it all became a patriotic and the patriots the patriots were the first team in nfl history that wasn't introduced you know like had their starting lineup introduced they all just came out on the field as a team i mean it was like this whole you know it sounds conspiratorial but this whole like you know psyop thing where they were Mm -hmm. trying to you know push this message on the american people through the nfl and through this football game which of course was the most watched television program of the year and, you know, that is one of the things that, you know, makes you stand up and go, oh, wait a second, was this planned or was this, you know, just lucky on the NFL's part? And again, I don't believe in luck when it's tied to a billion dollars. Mm-hmm. Honestly. And uh, I believe the Saints also won the Super Bowl after Hurricane Katrina, too. 
Yeah, it took them a couple of years to get there, but the first year immediately after Hurricane Katrina, they made it, made it to the NFC Championship game and lost to the Bears, who went on to lose the Super Bowl to the um, Colts, which is kind of odd because when the Saints did get to the Super Bowl, they again played Peyton Manning. So it was almost like it was supposed to happen, but it didn't happen. And then to me, it seemed like Peyton Manning threw that Super Bowl to make sure the Saints won it. Yeah, I uh, was going to say Mike and I are from Chicago, so... So we, I, well, I was the area. Oh, nice. I was <laughs> yeah, uh, a Bears fan and plenty of plenty of suffering as a Bears fan. I was also a Bills fan too. And uh, ouch. No, yeah, exactly. I don't really watch football much anymore, and I know that the Bills are kind of good now. But uh, something I noticed back a long time ago when I was a Bills fan, and I was kind of noticing like they were getting screwed. They even put a complaint in with the league one year, like that they were facing more teams with extra time off by like a massive disproportion like they would have a bye week and or uh, they'd be playing a team coming off a bye week they'd be playing a team coming off a thursday night like they just had a disproportionate amount of uh teams that had extra preparation and i guess i'm, I'm i believe it was only the browns owners and the bills owner who voted no for commissioner goodell to to like approve him as the commissioner and then we saw how well those teams did for however many years and i don't think that's a coincidence no no i think there's i think one of the things you know people always like to look at starting lineups and head coaches and that sort of thing for the nfl but i think it's who has the power within the ownership of the nfl because you know people think well roger goodell runs the nfl no he doesn't the owners run the nfl they employ roger goodell if they didn't like what he was doing they get rid of him and it always cracks me up because you know Roger Goodell comes out at like the NFL draft after the Super Bowl and all the fans boo him. You know, it's like Vince McMahon coming out there. Boo, they all go crazy and he kind of smiles and he plays that role. And it's like, if he was doing that bad of a job, the owners would get rid of him. But he's making them billions of dollars and they love him. And so those are the guys you have to worry about, the owners. They're the ones who control it. I think certain owners like Robert Kraft with the Patriots have more power within the league than other owners do because Robert Kraft had a lot of ties to the broadcast uh, television networks and the, getting to the media rights for the league. And I think that's one of the reasons why the Patriots did so well and got so many calls is because he brought a lot of money to a lot of people. And I also think it's one of the reasons why the Cowboys continue to lose because Jerry Jones doesn't share his revenue like the other NFL owners do. When Jerry Jones built that billion dollar stadium down in Texas, the new one, certain revenue streams from that stadium and from the Cowboys, he keeps himself. He doesn't share like the revenue from, um, you know, buying merchandise like Cowboys hats and t-shirts and that sort of things. All the other teams do. He does not. And so I think a lot of the NFL owners don't like it. They're not happy with him. They can't get rid of him necessarily because he hasn't done anything wrong. But at the same time, I think they can gang up on him and be like, yeah, you, if you're not going to give us money, guess what? You're not going to get the calls. And you're not getting to the Super Bowl without the calls. So mm -hmm. if you want to keep your money, keep your money. But you're not going to be a Super Bowl contender like that. Mm -mm. And they sure haven't been for, for a long time. So I think that most people who don't want to hear that their beloved sports could be fixed or are fixed, I think their biggest gripe would be, Okay, then who's fixing it? How are they doing it? What do you think? You think that the quarterback's just out there purposely? You know, so my question yeah. would be, how are they doing it and who? Who and how? Well, the first thing is, is 
you know, people say, well, there'd be too many people involved. Everybody, if there's so many people involved, everybody would know about it and the secret would get out. Mm-hmm. Well, the fact of the matter is, is you don't have to A, fix every game. And I don't think every game is fixed. I don't think it is professional wrestling. I think if there's certain games are tweaked. I think certain games are manipulated to keep them close to the very end. But I don't think it's every game is scripted at the beginning of the season. They say, oh, Team X is going to win the Super Bowl and here's how we're going to do it. I don't think that happens at all. Mm-hmm. But I think in order to do it, I think the easiest way to do it through most of the sports, be it football, basketball, hockey, is officiating. Clearly, certain calls benefit certain teams, hinder other teams, affect the play, and affect the outcomes of the games. And most of the calls that are made in all those sports are highly subjective. Because, you know, we've all heard it. We've all been watching football games or basketball games or what have you and heard even the broadcaster say, boy, they're really letting them play out there. Well, if, they, if they're really letting them play, that means they're not enforcing the rules. And so yeah. what are they out there doing? And if and when, if and when they do enforce the rules, when they call holding or pass interference or what have you, why do they suddenly do it now? Why is it suddenly now that it's egregious enough that they get flagged? But, you know, the other 10 times beforehand, they didn't bother to call it. So I think the officiating is the easiest way to manipulate a game to fix an outcome. But you can get... And people don't think so because the players make so much money, but you can get the players and get them to throw a game, to fix a game, to shave points. I mean, and I think it happens way more than people assume because the players don't make as much money as people assume. And even if they do make a bunch of money, I mean, you have guys like, especially in basketball, the NBA, I mean, guys like Antoine Walker for the Celtics, I think he made over $110 million in the NBA and he's bankrupt. He blew it all. So just because a guy makes a lot of money doesn't mean he doesn't go through it. Doesn't mean he doesn't lose it. Doesn't mean there aren't taxes taken out and lawyer fees and agent fees and that sort of thing. And certain players, especially in the NFL on rookie contracts, aren't getting paid that much. So I think there is way to blackmail players, even through you know performance enhancing drug testing and that sort of thing. There's ways to get players. There's even ways to get to head coaches. Because how many times have you seen a head coach who's three and you know fifteen or whatever with an NFL team? Can't be three and fifteen three and 14 but anyway with an nfl team he loses job and two years later he's coaching for another team you know these guys get recycled so much maybe it's because they're company players and they'll do what they're told and again it doesn't have to be every game just certain games here and there that they have to throw yeah i think you're right on i think you're right on with all that it only takes you know it only takes one call at a certain particular moment of the game to completely change the outcome it reminds me of a saying you know you've never I've never met a bookie that has a part-time job. You know, they they somehow <laughs> always they always know just where that points line is going to be. And I understand they're good at their job, but how good can you really be? You you mentioned basketball. One of the things I wanted to to talk to you about was, you know, we mentioned we're, we're from Chicago. Uh, it, in my case, just outside, like you had mentioned, outside of just a lot easier to tell people you're from Chicago when you're from like Lum- yeah, Lombard, exactly. you know. <laughs> but um, exactly right, right. <laughs> but um, with basketball, you know, we had the sudden Derrick Rose. We won the Derrick Rose lottery, and in the '80s, the the Knicks won the Patrick Ewing lottery, and then LeBron gets traded, but then miraculously. The Cleveland Cavaliers get the number one pick a few years after that. So could you talk a little bit about the NBA and if and how they fixed the draft lottery? Well, uh, the well, the early draft lotteries were very easy to rig, especially the original one with Patrick Ewing in 1985. 
when they came out there the big giant envelopes and threw them in a hopper <laughs> and even if you watch that i mean if you pay attention you could see how they fixed it and made sure that the knicks got the number one pick but you know again it goes back to the fact that the owners run the league they own the league so if they decide hey we're going to benefit this team over that team and we're going to let this team win the lottery what are you going to do cry about it and sue them you know what kind of recourse do you have as a fan to prevent this sort of thing now supposedly they have this you know big ping pong ball hopper thing now where they they can't supposedly quote unquote can't be fixed you know you can't rig the outcome because of this random way they choose whatever team but guess what you know it's like a magic trick sure you can of course you can rig it if you want to rig it now do they want to rig it every year not saying that they do certain years do they want to rig it i think they definitely do and i think you know again they have the control and ability to do so and especially they don't make it now they don't even make it public they have a couple of trusted you know journalists that are in the room to watch what happens yeah okay sure trust the journalists mm-hmm. here you guys want to keep reporting on the nba and not lose your access to the locker rooms and to all the inside information we ditch out guess what you'll do it exactly what we say you'll tell the fans exactly what we want them to hear right right <laughs> and that's all it takes wow do you feel like basketball is probably the easiest team sport to rig through officiating because they could I mean, one player could make a massive difference in basketball on a team. Oh, and definitely. just the calls that they make at the right moments could completely shift the momentum of a game versus, like, obviously the officials could rig any game with their calls. But to me, it seems like basketball might be one of the easiest team sports to kind of get the result they want. Well, I think I think I would agree with you because it is almost like football. It is a game where almost every play, every possession, potentially – you know, the refs could call a penalty on, you know, I mean, traveling is ubiquitous through the whole NBA. I mean, guys travel all the time. They rarely call it, but every once in a while they do call it, you know, was that a charge or was that a block? Which way does the referee want to lean? Which team does he want to favor? I mean, there's a lot of ways that they can tweak these things, especially for point shaping purposes, for gambling purposes, but for the outright outcome of the game. Yeah. There's a lot of ways they could tweak it. And you hear, players even talk about it of course you can't talk about it as a player because you get fined but at the same time you hear players talk about it well we not only had to beat the five guys on the court we had to beat the other three who are officiating the game you hear that because they know they know that certain referees lead certain ways and want certain teams to do better one thing about the nba is the nba proves basically what i've written about for all this time and that game tanking is a real thing in the NBA. For some reason, the press just lets it go on and acts like it doesn't happen, that it's no big deal. But you literally had Mark Cuban, the owner of the Dallas Mavericks, twice, in two different seasons, publicly say, I told my team it's in the best interest to lose. And so you had an owner of the team basically funneled this information through his GM, through his head coach, to the players, told them, don't win basketball games. We need a better draft pick. And if that's not exactly what I'm talking about in terms of fixing games and rigging games, I don't know what else is. I mean, that's the proof. And if they can do that in a regular season game, you can say, well, those games don't matter. Well, then what games really do matter? If regular season games don't matter, do really all playoff games matter? Or could they say, hey, look, we want this to go instead of a four-game sweep, we like it to go to six or seven games because we're going to sell more tickets, more hot dogs, more parking, more T-shirts, more whatever. You know, and maybe we tank a couple of playoff games, take a couple of games in the finals. I mean, what games then matter? 
but that's exactly proves my point 100 percent and i've had <laughs> i've had like journalists argue this with me like no it doesn't I'm like well what else do you call them if they're not fixed games if an owner's telling the team to lose it's a fixed game straight up yeah i mean what are you gonna do go against your owner and not have a job come next week yeah i mean you don't not really much yeah. of a choice one of the things that kind of blew my mind tom is really big into like numerology and he brought up this crazy i guess you could say I, i'm with you i don't believe in coincidences either but uh, maybe you can call it that tom why don't you tell him this crazy thing with the number 38 yeah so i'm no expert on it but uh we this being a conspiracy show we go pretty deep into the conspiracies and uh this guy who that is his specialty is numerology last season posted this about lebron so i'll kind of sum this up here and this is just too much coincidence i try to you know use this as a a glaring example to try and show people like no sports are manipulated they're rigged but this is like another level of it so uh last year lebron was about to break kareem's record after 38 years, LeBron was 38 years old during that. It was the 38th day of the year where he was having the game where he was going to attempt it, which was 308 days after the 38th year anniversary to break that record. LeBron would have surpassed 38,388 career points. And then to follow up, that guy said, Wild Guess says he scores 38 points. How many points do you think LeBron scored that game? Come on. 38. 38, yeah. And then the guy uh, added after that, after the game, after the fact, he said, wanted to add that Kareem set the record in the 38th NBA season, and LeBron was born 38 weeks after that record was set. <laughs> Unreal. No, yeah, that's a little little much <laughs> is, is that just a case in like of looking into things way too much and trying to find you know coincidences where there really isn't any or is there i think i don't know man that kind of sounds like like you said that's a little much <laughs> it is a little much and it's hard to say i mean i'm not the guy i know there's a lot of people into um it was called gematria or whatever yes. yeah gematria I mean, I used to be good at math back in high school. It's been a long time since high school, so I don't think I'm that good at math anymore. But it you. seems to me like a lot of times with those things, they're cherry-picking numbers and cherry-picking, you know, what gets divided by what or what gets multiplied or added, or we pick these numbers but not those numbers to get to some kind of contrived result, at least in my opinion. Mm -hmm. I know some people supposedly have been able to predict certain things that happen based off those numbers. I, I haven't looked into it enough to say one way or the other, but, you know, there are certain... Like you see coincidences that seem just way too coincidental to be actual coincidences and not like a pre-programmed idea that they're trying to get across. For sure, for sure. Before we get into uh, some MMA and some UFC questions, one last football question I wanted to ask you about. There is a, um, there is a group of people who believe that, well, first off, a few years ago they, they, uh, they put this rule in play where they have separate footballs for field goals, I guess now, right? And yeah. there's a group of people that believe that maybe there's some kind of magnetic device or something in these footballs where they can turn them on and then make the make the foot the field goal swerve to the left or to the right, like we had just saw this last weekend, uh, Buffalo wide right, 
and, and it, you know, it kind of looked like the, the ball made a, a very abrupt right turn. Do you think there's anything to that at all? Do you think that they're doctoring these field goal balls at all? I kind of almost think I started that idea, to be honest. <laughs> I could be wrong. I could be taking credit where credit is not due. Um, but I talked to, and this was, a, I can't even tell you how long ago, a guy who used to be a ball boy for the uh, Chicago Bulls. And he told me, he goes, you know, there's magnets in the basketballs. And I said, what? He said, yeah, there's magnets in the basketballs. And I said, well, what are you talking about? He goes, well, they have the balls magnetized and the hoop magnetized. So when the ball goes through, it automatically resets the uh, shot clock. I said, I don't, you know, I don't know about that, man. He goes, yeah. And he goes, they can also push and pull the ball away from the basket if they want the ball to go in or stay out. I said, whoa. And then I started thinking about it because there is, if you go online and research it, there is technology that you can do that with. You can put, you know, magnets in like footballs that have a magnetized glove and you can make one-handed catches all day long. And it's a real thing. It's something you can actually buy if you want to. You can find it online and buy it. And I started thinking about it and I said, well, you know, the hoop on a basketball hoop is metal. The uprights and, you know, goalposts in the NFL and college are metal. The, you know, net in the hockey thing, the poles are metal. And I said, if all that stuff's metal and magnetized, and then you had a, you know, magnet inside the puck, the football, the basketball, what have you, could you create a strong enough force to push or pull, you know, the puck, the football, the basketball in or out of the goal if you wanted to? And I don't know, you know, the scientific facts behind it all. I don't know how much of a field you'd have to generate, but could you cre create one that would potentially swerve something out of the way? I think it's a very real possibility. And if they have the ability to put that in a football, then they have the ability to put it in a basketball. They certainly have the ability to put it in a frozen puck because they used to have, you know, those little microchips in the puck for on television back in the days when Fox in the nineties had that, you know, was a streak that would follow the puck to make the puck more watchable on television. Oh yeah. I, who's to say they can't do that? Who's to say it hasn't happened? I mean, I, I don't necessarily believe it is, but in the realm of conspiracy theories, I don't think it's crazy to think it. No, that's not too far-fetched at all. At all. Yeah, I think there might be something to it, to be honest with you. I definitely think there's something to it. There's definitely been, I know there's a famous hockey clip. I think, uh, quick, I think he's the goalie for the, uh, Kings, where Puck went right through the five hole, right between his legs, and about six inches before it got the goal line, it made a 90-degree turn and did not go into the net. And nobody's ever been able to explain how that was possible. I, but maybe that was a test yeah. <laughs> of the system, you know, a test of the emergency broadcast system. That <laughs> right. was it. But I, you've seen a lot of, we've seen a lot of, you know, some weird shots, the Kyrie Irvin basket, where he just kind of chucked it up from the corner and it bounced oh. and then it still went in. Maybe that was pulled in. You know, we've seen enough field goals where they're looking like they're going in, and like you say, make right or left-hand turns midair. It makes you wonder. I think so. I've seen a, a clip of, uh, you know, how basketball games, they'll like in the halftime or before the game or whatever, they'll give the fans a chance to make like a half-court shot or yeah. a free throw for money. There was one where the guy did it and the ball got stuck directly on the like dead center of the rim in the in the backboard. It wasn't like wedged on the side, like how you see where the ball will get stuck. Like anyone who's played basketball has gotten the ball stuck, like wedged between the backboard and the rim. But no, it was dead center on that little, like, I don't know, like two inch flat part between the, the very center of the rim. 
and the backboard and there was no bounce there was no nothing it just boom got stuck dead center right there i don't think that that's possible at all there's no way it wouldn't have bounced off or yeah that looked extremely suspicious like a magnet was just holding it in place yeah you like to know the physics behind it like how is that possible <laughs> yeah i don't like anything i've ever seen i don't think there is science behind that that could explain it legitimately you know <laughs> But the UFC... There's some sort of science. What kind of science is the question? Yeah, right. It depends on the expert that you're going with. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the the UFC MMA. I heard you say that that yeah that that is no different, you know, than any other sport. That is that's fixed. Do you think that comes mostly when the fights are fixed? Do you think that it's more so the fighters or the referees or the judges? Well, if you look at the history of boxing, it's all three. Mm. So take your pick. Depending on the fight, depending who's fixing it, why they're fixing it. The history of boxing, 100 plus year history of boxing, you've had all of it. You've had judges that were bribed. You've had referees that are bribed. You've had, you know, fighters that are bribed. You know, that, that you can do it with any one of the three. Now, granted, having a judge won't help you if a guy gets knocked out. <laughs> Referee might not help you too much if a guy gets knocked out. But it has and it can be done through any one of those three individuals involved in the fight. And we just had a recent example of this too in the UFC with James Krause and his group of uh, fighters and and um, yeah, like a Patreon for gambling. Yeah, exactly. Where people would you know uh, would go and pay him for this gambling advice, but and then you know one of his fighters supposedly was fixing a fight by going down. And did you hear about the the James Krause circle? No, that one I don't. At least if I did, it doesn't ring a bell at the moment. Yeah, well, I think. Oh, I want to say it was maybe last year. Uh, that he got uh, totally banned from the UFC. Him, his any fighter that was even associated with his gym is banned from competing in the UFC. And because of him now, fighters in the UFC can no longer bet on fights. Because That's of, right, I do remember. I remember that now that you say that part. Yeah. So what it was was uh, the betting line train changed like dramatically, like uh, within 24 hours of the fight because. I guess a guy was going into a fight like highly injured so he knew he wasn't going to win and his coach was running like a big betting scheme and like was making money by giving these pick advices to people so somewhere along the line they were like wait so don't don't pull out of the fight you'll you'll still make money like I can guarantee you money if you just go in you lose like we'll get people to bet against you and the guy in the fight went out and uh he took a kick or he threw a kick and then he pretended like the kick hurt his leg and then he went down and I guess the UFC was suspicious because the betting line just got flooded. It was like a random prelim fight that didn't really matter either. And a bunch of people started picking like, okay, round one finish against this guy. And then he goes out there and gives a very suspect performance where he kicks with his own injured leg and then takes a dive. And yeah, that's, that's what resulted in that. And now no one wants to be affiliated with James Krause. Yeah. Well, that's, that's the stupid way of doing it. That's the, I mean, yeah, they, that's they, the way they, you get caught way of doing it. I mean, that's because that's what happens, you know, in tennis a lot, because tennis is fixed all the time, all over the world. And a lot of times the people that they've caught fixing tennis are, you know, the person who's 179th ranked in the world playing whoever's, you know, ranked 181st in the world. And yet there'll be, you know, a $500 bet on the first set, but there'll be like $20,000 bet on game two of the second set. And only $500 bet on the third set. And lo and behold, something weird happens in game two of the second set where the $10,000 was bet. And people start going, hmm, 
I wonder if something went on there. <laughs> you know, that's the same kind of thing with that fight. You know, some prelim fight that nobody cares about, and then there's all this money flooding in on one side over the other. It's enough to raise suspicions. I mean, that's that's not the way of doing things <laughs> if you want to get away with it. I think that matchmaking is obviously a way that you could argue they're they're fixing things or kind of like building up a star in a guy's career and well change the trajectory of you know their exactly career. i mean have you ever heard of a guy named charles farrell uh fighting for boxing not for ufc boxing the name sounds familiar but i don't know if i can't put a okay. face to him well charles farrell he managed uh five different world champions throughout their career okay so i mean he was in the fight game a long time he knew a lot of people in the fight game whatever and I, re- I don't even remember how I ran into the guy, how I met him. But long story short, he basically told me he's fixed hundreds of fights, hundreds. And he knows of other managers, trainers who have fixed an equal amount of fights. Fights are fixed all the time in boxing matches, all the time. And when he explained it to me, and I'll explain it here, it makes perfect sense as to why. It's like he said, to build up a fighter. So basically, he said trainers, managers... If they've been around long enough in the fight game, they recognize talent really fast, really fast. They can tell if this guy's got it, this other guy doesn't have it. If they have a guy who they think really is talented, really has it, they don't want to see that guy get beat up on his way to a potential championship fight. So what they do is they take this fighter, this up-and-coming fighter, and basically go to another manager who has their own stable of palookas just average ordinary fighters and they say hey look my guy basically through their little code talking but basically says hey look my guy needs three rounds of work you got somebody who gave me three rounds of work they says yes they fight the up-and-coming fighter wins in the third round with a knockout and the career goes on and that's why a lot of times especially boxing you'll see a guy get to a championship fight and he'll be 22 and 0 with 20 knockouts well chances are those 20 knockouts were all fixed fights the guy really only fought like two real fights, which he didn't knock anybody out in. And now he's in the title fight. And so all those matches were fixed along the line to build this guy up to get him to the title fight, which is the only fight that matters. He's gotten work, he's gotten training, but he hasn't been injured on his way up to the title. And that's the way things really work in boxing. Wow. And it's probably the same, you know, in mixed martial arts, the UFC. I'm sure. Yeah. And when you think 100%. about it, 100%. For sure. And when you think about it, it's not out of the realm of possibility for managers to fix fights without even the fighter really consciously knowing that they're, exactly. they're being had too, right? Well, exactly. And it makes sense. And the thing is, is it makes sense. I mean, it makes perfect sense if you stop and think about it. If you, if you step back away from the fact of saying, oh, my God, this fight's fixed, it makes perfect sense what they're doing. But, yeah, exactly. The fighter, the up-and-coming fighter, he probably has zero clue. In fact, you don't want him to know. Because that might affect his, you know, whole mental game, mental aspect of the fight game. Um, and he might just think, well, he's a bulldozer because he's gotten through 20 fighters with, you know, 20 knockouts. But it's probably all set up. And it's funny, too, because actually in, I think it's Rocky 3, if everybody's a Rocky fan, I'm pretty sure it's in the third Rocky fight before Mickey dies. He actually tells Rocky that he set up number of fights for him while he was champion to make sure that Rocky stayed champion. It's kind of funny. It's actually in the movie wow. and he brings that up. But I mean, it's a real thing. And like I say, I'm sure it happens in the UFC and the MMA because it's the same thing. It's the same realm. It's the same fight game. It's just a different style of fighting. But again, it makes sense. 
you know, do you really want an MMA fighter on his way to a potential championship get beat up time and time and time again before he gets to that championship fight? Or do you want him fresh and feeling strong and thinking he's a world beater going into that title fight? Which would you prefer? Yeah, I, you know, I believe we just saw something like that this last weekend in the UFC. So you had um, a middleweight title match with the uh, current champion, or then he was the current champion, Sean Strickland, and he was defending his title against Drikus Duplessis, a South African fighter, um, who had previously had a lot of beef with the champion before Sean Strickland. And, to make a long story short... Uh, Sean Strickland lost his title via a very close, controversial split decision loss. Personally, I believe he won. But now that sets up this dream fight that has been hyped and, you know, talked about for months and months and months. Israel Adesanya versus Drekas Duplessis. Funny how things work out. Oh, and by the way, they're talking about making that fight at UFC 300, the biggest event ever. Yeah, Yeah, see? It's just luck, right? Luck for the UFC and, you know, Dana White and the rest of them. And the thing is, is uh, what I don't think, you know, a lot of people don't consider is that, again, if you look at the history of boxing, it's been so incredibly fixed over the decades and what they've been able to do and get away with. I mean, in the 1920s, organized crime literally fixed every single fight that Primo Cardera fought in to make him heavyweight championship of the world, including the heavyweight title fight. Every single fight they fixed to make sure he won because they knew the guy couldn't fight, but he looked like he could because he's like six foot six and like 280 pounds, which was just ginormous in the 1920s. And then when they, after he won the heavyweight title, the mob stopped fixing fights the very next fight, bet heavily against him and he got knocked out, lost his heavyweight title and the mob made all kind of money. You flash forward to the 1950s, and there was a guy by the name of Frankie Carbo who was an organized crime capo. In fact, he could have been the guy who killed Bugsy Siegel, um, if you know mob history. But anyway, Frankie Carbo literally ran boxing. This organized crime, this mafia guy, literally ran the sport of boxing in the 1950s. And he decided who would fight, where they would fight, when they would fight, and a lot of times who would win and who would lose. And in my one book, The Fix is Still In, I make a comparison between what Frankie Carbo does and what Dana White does. And it's very similar how the two operate. We just don't know exactly that, you know, Dana White is fixing matches, but he is determining who fights who, when they fight, where they fight, and that sort of thing. It's just, it's a very interesting comparison between these two eras of what boxing was huge in the 1950s and now when the UFC is huge today and what they're capable potentially of doing. Because let's face it, you know, you got to make big events for these pay-per-view things time and time again. You can't have crappy matchups in pay-per-view. How do you keep getting all these prime matchups? You know, is it just luck? Does it just work out that way? Or they orchestrate it all? Hmm. Yeah, it's it's, uh, quite fortuitous, you know? (laughs) Oh, totally. Being uh, being from Chicago or, you know, just outside of it, got to ask you about, uh, you know, the Michael Jordan conspiracy. Do you think... That's no conspiracy. Uh, yeah. Per, <laughs> Go ahead, per, ask some questions. Per, personally, <laughs> I think he was forced to retire for gambling issues. What do you think? I know he was forced to retire for gambling issues. I don't think I know it. And I mean, now the thing, the problem is, is people say, well, why can't you prove it that? 
Well, unfortunately, I talked to, or I know a friend who talked to a former bull who basically said, yeah, Jordan was kicked out because of gambling. I have a friend whose mother was Jerry Reinsdorf's personal secretary, who's the owner of the Bulls, and she was present for numerous meetings between Reinsdorf, Stern, and Jordan, talking about their gambling, talking about his retirement and what they were going to do about it. And I know a woman who had a lengthy affair with Michael Jordan, who confirmed the whole thing. Not as we'll go on the record, but I know for a fact that's exactly what went down, is he was too big and he meant too much money to too many people to go the same route as Pete Rose went just, what, three, four years earlier. And the NBA couldn't afford it. NBC couldn't afford it. McDonald's, you know, Coca-Cola, all the other things that Michael Jordan represented. Nike. Nike. Yeah, they couldn't afford to lose him like that. So they concocted this whole he's going to retire thing. He's going to go play baseball. It's all going to disappear. And immediately after it happened, the media dropped their investigations. The NBA dropped their investigations. And basically everybody forgot about it until he showed back up 18 months later. You know, people forget that his father, who was murdered when they arrested people in connection with it, these people had like, I don't know if it was the people that killed his father, but there was criminals that were arrested that had checks, personal checks from Michael Jordan in the amount of like $10,000. So, um, and Jordan even had to admit after denying it said, yeah, you know, it was from gambling. Da, da, da. So yeah, there's no doubt that he was in deep with you know, with who knows who, but the wrong he, kind of people. Well, yeah, one of the guys is so one of the guys he got busted uh, gambling with was a known cocaine trafficker. Right, that's what I'm thinking of. Yep, <laughs> and he owed him he owed him fifty seven thousand dollars, and the guy had a fifty seven thousand dollars check. That's what I'm thinking. He got of. busted. He got busted by the IRS, and the guy said um, his name was Slim Bowler, the Boulder Bowler, I think was his last name, Bowler. He said, well, Michael Jordan gave me $57,000 to open a driving range. And that, just having said that Michael Jordan gave me $57,000 to open a driving range, the judge actually said, oh, okay, well, that's probably legit then. And let it go. And it was like two weeks later, they were like, wait, well, wait a second, wait, wait. You know, he had no paperwork to open up a driving range. He had nothing to back it up. But initially, the judge was like, oh, well, Michael Jordan gave you the money? Okay, no problem. And then they started looking into it again and said, wait a second. And then it came out, oh, no, it was for a gambling debt. Then there was a guy named Eddie Dow who was kind of a bail bondsman, basically. He was kind of a shady character. He had murdered, and they don't even think it actually was a robbery. But in his uh, briefcase, they found, I think, it was three checks totaling several thousand dollars all for Michael Jordan that was all related to gambling losses. And then there was another guy on the West Coast that he owed a million dollars to that his wife was writing checks out to because he lost all this money gambling on golf. So, I mean, he owed money to several people. And those are just the three people we know about. Yeah. I mean, who knows who else he had to pay off or paid losing on gambling or who he was associating with during that whole time. But he's even today, everybody's like, oh, yeah, well, Jordan gambles all the time. You know, nobody bats an eye at it. You hear stories like that he's such a degenerate gambler that he'll flip a coin and bet thirty thousand dollars on heads or tails. I mean, it's 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 out of hand. It's that's crazy. Oh, it is. And I mean, I I mean, they knew during his playing days that like when the team was on the uh, East Coast, like playing the Nets or playing the Knicks, that he would go to Atlantic City before and after the games he played. When they're out, you know, in the Utah playing at the Jazz or whatever, he would travel to Las Vegas you know, the nights and days after the game. And I mean, he would he was constantly gambling. So I mean, to think that this guy was an into some shady stuff 
and that nobody knew about it is insane. I mean, it was a well-known thing. It's just a question of how far it went. And I believe, or I, like I say, I know it went so far so the NBA had to shut him down because he was out of control. I'll tell you, you, you aren't lying about him being the face of the NBA in the 90s. I mean, people forget, or people forget, or they don't remember, or they weren't around to remember. But I'm 43, I got to live through all the glory years, and let me tell you, in the 90s, it wasn't like it is now, where there's four or five, six superstars, you know, every every team's got a, no, 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 no. It was Michael Jordan, you know, I mean, it was, yeah. he was, he was everything. If he fell... The, you're right, the entire NBA and all those other companies, I think, would have went right right along with him. Oh, yeah. I mean, he would have, take, he would have taken the league down. The league would have just, I don't think it would have collapsed, collapsed, but it would have taken a huge hit, way bigger hit than Major League Baseball took with Pete Rose. But even that actually affected Major League Baseball. It just so happened, though, that a couple of years later, you know, Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire started hitting home runs all over the place, and people forgot about the whole Pete Rose scandal. It would have taken something like that to bring the NBA back after Jordan, if he really went down for his gambling. And he should have. And I don't even know how they allowed him to become an owner. I have no idea how they just ignored it all, but I think he's just too big of a face, too big of a name. It means too much money to too many people to really knock him down the notches he should be knocked down. He should be kicked out of the game. He should be kicked out of the game. He should be kicked out of the Hall of Fame. And there's other players who should be as well, if they were serious about stopping gambling within the sport. Yeah, I mean, if Pete Rose was, you know, it should be it, yeah. everybody should be held to the same standard. I agree. With the whole uh, billions of dollar industries with sports, and it is a business, it's an entertainment business, and uh, the whole like conspiratorial take on it is it's Roman bread and circus, and it's mainly meant to, you know, distract and keep the people entertained and give them something to look forward to and be excited about, so that they don't uh, get passionate about other issues that might be more important or it's just another way to keep them fighting amongst each other over something that really doesn't matter as much rather than, you know, other issues like the, the quote by one of the Roman emperors was give them bread and circuses and they will never revolt. Like just keep them busy with food, beer, gambling games, you know, just constant entertainment. What do you think would be the main objective of controlling sports other than the obvious billions of dollars do you think it would be more of a something malevolent like that, like a oh yeah, psyop? Oh yeah, I, yeah, I hundred percent agree. I mean, the Romans weren't dumb; <laughs> they knew what it took. <laughs> and, I mean, that's the same today. I mean, and you know, a lot of people don't even think about how much professional sports are subsidized by the government. I mean, teams get you know the lot the leagues have you know um, antitrust exemptions. Local governments give them free land build stadiums for them, give them tax breaks, give them all sorts of things and incentives to stay in a city or move to another city. You know, it's not like these owners are really independent when it comes to that, but it is something that they control games themselves. But it is, I mean, look how distracted people are, especially by the NFL. I mean, the NFL is the most watched television program in the country and the most watched television programs in the history of the United States are all NFL games, they're all Super Bowls. So, I mean, it's, it's it's definitely an entertainment. It's definitely television, but it's a great way of distracting people. It's a great way of people getting more, you know, like you say, in tune to other things than the stuff they should be, you know, really worried about and concerned about and paying attention to. I mean, look how many people, you know, go nuts because they show Taylor Swift at a Chiefs game. I mean, who, ca- who cares? I could care less that she's there. 
you know but i mean people get riled up about it they talk about it and whatever and you know does anybody care about what's happening at the border does anybody care about what's happening in washington dc or do they care where taylor swift is for a football game honestly and i think it's pretty telling how they use roman numerals and a lot of roman symbolism and stuff for the super bowl and uh can you imagine if all these people in the stadiums going nuts were united and that passionate and like you know putting their differences aside and just getting behind one cause about something that was more important like any of the issues you mentioned or who knows how many other things other things yeah. like uh it's almost like a religion to some people like that. that's the thing they care about more than anything in the world and like when it comes to the nfl like it's sunday and they say things like oh my game day ritual or even the word fan <laughs> yeah. comes from like fanatics and it, it's very uh almost like uh cultish oh and it's and how much your brain space does it take up i mean you know, you ask somebody, you know, name the starting lineup of your favorite, whatever, football team, basketball team, baseball team, they could probably rattle it off. Oh, yeah. And they say, name the, you know, the members of Congress who represent your district. Like, huh? <laughs> <laughs> and the emotions, what? too. Like, it'll ruin your day yeah. if people get the, uh, so angry or so happy. Well, like, the mood depends on their team. That's why I always hope that the Packers lose, because I live in Wisconsin. And <laughs> I just want to see the whole state get depressed every time they lose. <laughs> I hear it's you great. too. I'm glad they god, lost. I love it. Oh my god, that the, I slept so soundly Saturday night after they lost. It's great. How is it being a Bears fan in Wisconsin? Oh, see, I live right on the border, so it's kind of that mixed thing where some people could be Packer fan and Cubs fan at the same time, which doesn't make sense. Or right. Brewers fans and Bear fans. It's, it's just kind of a weird melting pot in that way. But it is. It the thing, and that's one of the things. I noticed it like with like I say with being in Wisconsin this Packer fandom thing, I, it just shows how much you can take over, a, you know, a state. Really, I mean, it really does. Because I mean, when the Packers are good, and this year didn't really count, but back in the day, you know, when they were on the playoff march, you would get to the nightly news, the ten o'clock news, and the first story would be about the Packers, the second story would be about the Packers, the third story would be about you know how some guy shot five people and killed three of them. Then they would go to another Packer story. Then the weather would be about the Packer game coming up on Sunday. And then there was sports. <laughs> and that was like the 10 o'clock newscast. It was like, um, yeah, there was other things that went on in the world. <laughs> but all they cared about was the Packers. And it's like, oh, my God. That's why, like I say, I just I want them to lose every game because I can't stand listening to that. Because, again, it's so many people in Wisconsin are so gun ho about it that, you know, nothing else seems to matter to them. Now, what's it been like to watch sports with this mentality that you've had for the longest time doing this research and stuff? Does it feel like you're more more so watching WWE or like just trying to decode and like see what they're trying to, you know, which narrative they're trying to push? If you take your fan hat off and watch any sport, whatever sport it is that you like the most, if you take the fan hat off and watch it objectively, it completely changes how you consume the games or the fights or whatever. Because you do start noticing things you'd never really noticed before. Now, I don't watch sports nearly like I used to 20 years ago. I mean, I can't. I don't I don't find them interesting. I don't find them entertaining. I get bored by them. I mean, I could still go to like a baseball game. I could go see a hockey game. I could watch a football game. But I can't do it nonstop every night, every weekend, what have you. I just can't. Because it, it, like I say, you, to me, I see right through it all. And you can just tell. I mean, like the Packer game, the Packer 49er game. I knew the 49ers were going to win that game. I knew it was over before it was over. I mean, I saw it like the writing was on the wall. I saw what was going to happen. I could feel it coming. 
And I mean, same thing with like the Ravens. I knew there was no way the Ravens would lose. I mean, there's certain things that you can just tell by the hype, by the storylines, by how certain games start to play out. You can just tell how it's going to go. I mean, but you have to be willing, like I say, to not be a fan and watch it as a rational person. (laughs) And it's a hard thing to do because there's a lot of times where I've talked to people about this. And a lot of times people say I ruin sports for them. But I could talk to somebody who's like an NBA fan and I'll talk to him and say, hey, you know, the NFL does this, the NFL does that to manipulate games and they'll be 100 percent with me. And then I'll say, but in, and then the NBA, when they do it, and people will be like, whoa, no, 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 they, they don't do that basketball. That doesn't, <laughs> not my sport, not my sport, not my team. It, it's an instant pushback because it is partially psychological. It's kind of like a drug for a lot of people. And you can't start telling them Santa Claus isn't real because it really messes with them. Yeah, that was like when I first found out uh, WWE and pro wrestling was fake. Like, no, it's not. They take chair shots and they get slammed. <laughs> How could that be fake? How could it not be fake? Yeah. Think about that. <laughs> yeah, right. That's that's the real question. I was just taking a look here at your website, which is thefixisin.net, which is just a great resource. And uh, as well as you could find a lot of your work or all of your work in books, they're two signed books. So everybody should yeah. check that out. One of the, the cool things I was looking at here was you have uh, the top 10 fixes, the games, and then the streaks. And number eight right here is Ronda Rousey's UFC career. I just, uh, I think that's very apropos. <laughs> well, I, I think it was all orchestrated. Yeah, going I mean, back, really going back to making a fighter's path a little bit easier by picking and choosing their opponents, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying, you know, it's like a lot of this stuff. I'm not saying, like, she wasn't talented. I'm sure she could kick my ass right now. <laughs> and could back in the day. I wouldn't deny that one bit. And it's the same with, like, you know, certain athletes like LeBron and Jordan and, you know, Aaron Rodgers and, you know, Lamar Jackson stuff. You can't fake talent. And there are certainly guys out there who are way more talented than even their contemporaries that they're playing against. And you could see it, and it's obvious. And I think, you know, the leagues aren't stupid. They know those superstars exist and they just basically say to the officials like look you create a bubble around a guy like lebron james where you basically you can't defend him like you defend other players because they're going to call a foul on you it gives them a little more room to operate they're going to do better they're going to score more points they're going to win more games they're going to get to the playoffs more they're going to get to the finals more potentially win championships more but that's not bad for the league if one guy dominates like that, if a Tom Brady dominates like that, because you know what? Everybody in the league is benefiting from that. I mean, with so much revenue shared amongst the teams and coming from the broadcast rights from the major media outlets, everybody wins. So, I mean, to create those bubbles around those star athletes to allow them to almost overachieve because of the bubbles, it, it makes perfect business sense. Why wouldn't you do that if you ran such a business? Yeah, that's why Vince McMahon didn't want to get into the UFC business because he couldn't determine the outcomes. So, yeah, the last thing uh, the last thing I wanted to ask you about, Brian, if you don't mind, is one of probably the most widely accepted, the most widely accepted fixed game is Super Bowl three. Would you agree with that? And if so, could you can you lay it out there on just why people think that is probably the most fixed game ever? I don't know if it's most widely accepted. But top five. Yeah. I mean, well, for people who look into this, yeah. And if they like history, because you know, a lot of younger guys don't even realize Super Bowls went on back in the 60s, you know. Right. <laughs> but no, but basically what it was is it came down to 
what people, again, you have to know a little bit of history of football is there's two rival football leagues. I mean, there was the AFL and the NFL, and it wasn't like the NFL and the XFL or the USFL or what's the new one, the UFL now they made it into. They were pretty much legit rival leagues where they would fight over, you know, the star players coming out of college and it was costing everybody money. Um, So the leagues decided to merge. The only problem was is that NFL fans outnumbered AFL fans probably at least three or four to one. And it's funny, the AFL brand of football was seen as inferior despite the fact that it actually almost mimics today's football league because there's a lot of passing, a lot of receiving, a lot of high scoring. But a lot of fans weren't acceptive, receptive, I should say, to the AFL and their style of football. So when the leagues decided to merge and created the Super Bowl, fans were very skeptical and then after Super Bowl one and Super Bowl two, where the Packers killed the Chiefs and the Raiders, NFL fans were really like, this league's going to suck when they add all these new teams in. And so here came Super Bowl three, and the NFL is represented by the Baltimore Colts, which is literally one of the best teams in football history to this day. I think they had the biggest point differentials, like 18 some odd points a game, which was only recently beaten by the Patriots a couple of years ago. It's like the second most point differential per game of any team in NFL history. And they were playing the Jets, who finished third in the NFL. And everybody assumed the Colts were just going to blow them out. It was going to be another terrible game like the other Super Bowls. And now the merger was really breathing down their throats. And so a lot of people believe, me among them, that the NFL fixed the game and made the Colts take a dive to allow the Jets to win. And it basically created the modern NFL based off that one game because it solidified the merger, solidified the fan base, and it meant billions of dollars to the guys who owned the league. Boy, I'll tell you, uh, you know, it sure does look like it was fixed. If you go back and you watch, uh, what was the quarterback's name for the Colts? Um, Earl Morrill. Boy. Who was the MVP of the league that year. <laughs> well, not that game. <laughs> no. And they said they were in the red zone, I think, what, four or five times, and three times they came away with interceptions or something like that? I mean, Yeah, they never, they never scored in the red zone. There's like three interceptions and like a missed field goal or something like that. Well, yeah. and it's interesting too, because the three, I think the three main people who might have been involved in fixing it were the Colts owner, their head coach, and Morrell, who was the quarterback. Now, the owner was Carol Rosenblum. Um, he wound up getting $3 million from the NFL for his team to switch to the what became the AFC, the AFL teams. That's how the Colts wound up in the AFC. And two years later, they won Super Bowl five. Another quarterback in Super Bowl five for the Colts happened to be, hey, Earl Morrill. So he got a Super Bowl title just took two years later. Rosenblum, who owned the Colts, got his Super Bowl title two years later. And the head coach for the Colts that at that time was Don Shula, who immediately after a season signed a huge deal with the Miami Dolphins. And then three years later led the team that was undefeated and that remains undefeated to this day, the only NFL team, the Miami Dolphins. Wow. So everybody who was involved in fixing that game, in my opinion, all got rewarded greatly for doing so. Wow. Obviously, the 85 Bears were one of the best teams ever. They had their one loss against Miami. Do you mm-hmm. think there's something to that to preserve Miami being the only team to go undefeated? It's funny. I remember that Monday Night Football game against the Dolphins, but I don't remember exactly what happened. But it wouldn't surprise me. I mean, it seems very strange that no team has ever gone undefeated since 1972. I mean, that's kind of bizarre because it's... There's been a lot of teams that have been close, very close. I mean, the you know, Patriots just a couple of years ago made it all the way to the Super Bowl before they lost, being undefeated. 
but it, it is kind of interesting that that's remained a thing for as long as it has well uh dude this was uh this was fun this was this was awesome man i appreciate you doing this so much oh no problem happy to talk to you guys yeah, if, great episode can't wait to share it with all my uh sports fanatic friends and they'll say i'm just nuts we're talking <laughs> nonsense <laughs> that's the way it goes well, that's the reaction we're used to anyway. So welcome trust to me, so am I. It's, it doesn't phase me one bit. Like I say, it all comes down to basically two things. is one, realizing that there's no law that prevents a league from fixing its own game. And so many times it's in their best business decision to have certain outcomes happen over other outcomes. And two, just watch games, like I say, without your fan hat on. Watch them objectively when you have no rooting interest and then tell me that certain things just aren't highly highly suspect and if you question why i think you come to the conclusion that i came to a long time ago is that it's being controlled for good reasons money it's always money right always always the way the world works what isn't corrupted by money amazing that's the funny thing you know business is corrupted by money government's corrupted by money even religions are corrupted by money but sports fans think sports can't be corrupted by money yeah right that's so it's so absurd that somehow professional sports is pure but yet everything else in the world's corrupt i uh recently have started a wrestling league where i'm basically the vince mcmahon and i host matches and put matches on and now this is this got my head kind of spinning am i gonna get corrupted am i am i gonna start rigging fights well you're more like the dana white because you're you're not fixing fights yet (laughs) yet yeah yeah key yeah but <laughs> maybe if someone wants to throw me a few billion to uh, rig some matches, we'll be uh, we'll be talking different. Yeah, a billion with a B. That's all it takes. That's all it takes. You know, it's sad. I mean, I was on this show, radio show with John Ritchie, who is the fullback for the Oakland Raiders when they went to the Super Bowl and lost to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And the, I don't think I asked him. I think the other host, his co-host, asked him. He's like, you know, John, would you fix a game for you know enough money? And he actually didn't say no, <laughs> which blew my mind. He was actually, well, he gave me enough money. Yeah, maybe I would. <laughs> it's yeah. just like, oh, well, okay, thanks for proving my point, dude. I don't need to be on the show anymore. Yeah, the, the honesty, too. You got to appreciate the honesty, you know? Yeah. Uh, but it was funny that he didn't. I mean, the easiest thing to say is no. Oh, God, no, I wouldn't do that. But he didn't. He actually was like, well, well no, yeah, maybe I would. That's an interesting Super Bowl too, you know, with the whole the Barrett Robinson situation. Oh, yeah, oh, that's a, that, that was one a crazy was totally one. rigged too. Yeah, that one. Yeah, the whole excited thing. to see if we get the 49ers versus Ravens narrative after all, or if the NFL is scrambling to change the script. That yeah, they might want Taylor Swift in the house. So yeah, that's what <laughs> I'd I'm be thinking. worried if I was the Raven. Ravens got to win by like 400 points this weekend to make sure that the rest can't interfere. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of seemed like uh, this whole season has an undertone storyline of Taylor Swift to it. So I think you're you uh, I think you're onto something there. So mention you you got scary. To, I know, right? Did you see that stupid dance that she had everybody doing? Oh my god! Yeah. Come on, stay out, stay out of football. You know, stay out. The um, thefixesin.net. That's your website. You're also yeah. at thefixesin. Uh, uh, do you have any other projects or anything else that you'd like to uh, shout out? No, that's the best place people can find me. And if they want to contact me, feel free to email me. I always respond to them. So that was Brian Tui. Great guy, super cool. I love his work. Like I said, can't wait to share this one with my family and friends who are massive sports heads. And you know, he doesn't sound like a nut job or. Mm-mm. 
talk too crazy like some of uh, the people that we talked to on this show. So I think he lends his argument well. Yeah, for sure. He, yeah, it's what he said too when you said you were gonna play it to, uh, or you know, you were gonna share this episode with a lot of your sports friends, your your friends that appreciate sports. He said, "Oh yeah, they're they got a whack job," but no, no, I don't, I don't think so. He didn't sound like a whack job at all. And um, yeah, that was a uh, that was a good one, man. I, I really, uh, it doesn't ruin sports for me, but it it makes me, as he said, it kind of makes me view sports through a different lens you know and all sports i'm not just talking about like football and basketball i'm even talking about the ufc mixed martial arts boxing i'm talking about everything dude definitely and uh i'm pretty much open to anything and everything being ruined for me at this point nowadays like i've had my paradigms and beliefs shattered and challenged so many times so really nothing i can't uh i can't count out anything being uh you know controlled or malevolent or whatever it may be i will say i when i was first getting into mma back in the day one of the first fights maybe the very first fight i ever watched go down live i still remember it It was ufc 75 so maybe not the first one i ever saw live but it was a free card ufc 75 and it was in england it was bisping versus matt hamill oh yeah and uh Matt Hamill beat the shit out of him. And I remember just like, I was like, oh, this guy's a wrestler. He's deaf. Like, I kind of like felt bad for him. And I wanted to root for him because he was deaf. Like, oh, the underdog story. And he, like, let's go. And he beat the shit out of him. And Bisping, like, had nothing to offer. And in the post-fight thing, they they gave the decision to Bisping. And in the post-fight, like, highlights, the only thing they were able to show was Bisping sprawling, like, one takedown. Even though he was taken down and controlled, like, the whole fight. He was He went crazy. He was shocked when he found out he won that fight because everyone knew... Like that to me was like one of the most obvious examples and first examples of like completely fixed fights. But they were like, oh, don't worry. The uh, the two judges who picked Bisping was American and the one judge that picked against him was English. I was like, oh, yeah, that's what a convenient cover story for that. But yeah, I mean, he's just confirming everything that I've always kind of thought with his uh, work and his arguments on why and how these things would be fixed. Like it's kind of just stuff we've always suspected, like. Even the untrained eye can be like, okay, yeah, they're they're protecting Tom Brady or they're they're giving these calls to this team because he's the star of the league or, you know, it's pretty compelling when you put all his work together. Dude, his work's super compelling. But Matt Hamill, so you're right. It was UFC 75, champion versus champion. Uh, Dan Henderson and Rampage was the main event, right? Yes, you are correct. And Crow Cop and Congo was on there too. Yeah, Bisping versus Hamill. It was a split decision, and it was uh, the co-main event. You're right about all of that. What I find crazy is Matt Hamill was also involved in the only blemish on John Jones's record. So John Jones has the one no contest, and that was from a fight. I remember watching this fight live when it happened. It was when he was getting killed. He was getting killed. Oh, he was destroying him. It was when John Jones was still a, pretty much an unknown guy on the prelims. And he beat the brakes off Matt Hamill. But what had happened was he had used a 12 to 6 elbow. And even though it really didn't cause damage, that is an illegal elbow. So that is why the fight got uh, turned into a no contest. But yeah, that I heard that rule is changing or has changed. So that's good because that's some bullshit. Yeah, I would like to see that rule change and 
I'm glad that Matt Hamill has the blemish on that because I hate John Jones. I think he's a piece of shit. I've never really liked him. I mean, when he was coming up, it was a little easier to like him, but everything that has happened with him and he's had a couple of decisions that arguably should have lost that went his way and I never really liked him. And then Matt Hamill got robbed by Bisping, so it is funny that he got awarded that shitty fucking win over John Jones, but hey, I'm, I'm all for it. Yeah, the only good thing is Matt Hamill couldn't hear how he got fucked. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, as uh, like I said, with running wrestling wars now, the the whole fix is in type of deal. I could I could honestly see so much from the inside. Like when I'm trying to put matchups together, like one of the main things I've focused on is trying to make fair matches because I don't want somebody to feel like oh fuck, like you know I got fucked. Like was Tom trying to? you know, get me beat or favor someone else. And mm-hmm. I tried to make sure every match that I've put together so far was, you know, competitive and evenly matched or, you know, nobody was mismatched and just totally outclassed. And I think I've done a good job of that so far, but, uh, Hey, someone wants to throw me some millions and billions. We could talk. Yeah. Right. Touching on the, uh, the 12 to six elbow. Do you know why that elbow is illegal? Some, uh, goofball boxing commissioner said, I've seen guys break boards and break ice with that elbow. Like, we can't let them do that to somebody. <laughs> yeah, you're right. That's exactly it. Yeah, some fucking, some jamoke was up at 3 in the morning watching those infomercials about some bogus karate guy breaking fucking blocks of ice with his 12 to 6 elbow. And, and yeah, now you can't do that because that asshole saw that. When in reality, you can generate much more power by throwing like a 9 to 3. You know, like, yeah, yeah I, it just, it doesn't make any fucking sense. Yeah, John McCarthy tells that story, and I just think it's so fucking silly. Like, these guys know nothing. 12, 12 to 6 elbow while being on top of someone is honestly, it seems like more, one of the least efficient strikes Eek. you could throw. Like, yeah, so many other directions that you could throw that elbow is uh, a lot harder. And if you don't know what we're talking about, if you're listening, pick, they call it a 12 to 6 elbow because it's, you're bringing your elbow straight up from the ceiling and straight down onto the guy. But what's funny is if you throw an elbow at any other angle, like if you're if you're on your back and the guy's on top of you and you're throwing the exact same strike from your from your back, from the perspective of your back, it would be a 12 to 6 elbow. But I guess since you're not vertical and say you're, you're you know, the guy's on top of you, he's in your guard and you're elbowing him on the top of the head, it's the exact same strike. Mm-hmm. Sure, you don't have gravity on your side, but it then becomes like a, what, what would you call it then? Like a... A three, yeah, a three to nine elbow or a, a yeah. four to ten elbow. And uh, there's so many strikes that could destroy someone. Like grabbing the back of someone's head, pulling it down, and throwing a knee. Oh, yeah. Like that's way more devastating than a short elbow from the ground where you don't have a lot of room to wind up. And the strike that they were talking about to begin with, the breaking the boards and the, you know, the ice and stuff, they're standing straight up. They're basically like jumping and dropping their whole weight down on probably pre-cut or pre-broken boards. Like that strike is just not going to happen. Sure. If you blasted someone in the eye with that, you're going to do some damage, but realistically, like even look back to the old UFC days or uh, leagues where maybe that rule isn't legal or even just like street fights or whatever, you're not going to see people getting devastated by that straight down elbow strike on top. There's just a lot better options to, do damage mm-hmm. there's a lot of trickery involved too when you see somebody do that they've you know they've done that thousands of times there's a technique there's a uh you know there's there's a trick to it it's like a carnival trick you know it looks like oh that looks like oh, okay yeah 
but no, there's a little, there's a little something to it. There's a little gimmick to it. There's a certain way that they do it. So, yeah, I mean, if you think about it, if you're on top of someone and you're gonna throw elbows, the the eleven to five would do the most amount of damage. You know, like think of Kenny Florian. Like when you're throwing those crazy elbows, you're throwing them across your your body. You're not, you can't generate the power like you said. It's it's a silly thing. I'm glad they're changing it, but yeah, sports are fixed. <laughs> straight up straight up bread and circus doesn't matter the sport we all in, including us truthers and truth seekers conspiracy theorists as you if you will we need our escape and distraction once in a while too especially when you're constantly flooding your mind with this type of shit it's not bad to uh have a little uh sheeple escape if you will once in a while like i still enjoy mma like i don't really watch any other sports but if i'm hanging out with my dad or whatever i'm at a family party and they got a fucking game on or something like sure i'll watch it i'll I'll do what i can to try and enjoy it but yeah i kind of watch it with the same uh same perspective as brian take the fan hat off and i'm almost like breaking down the symbolism and oh what are, what are they trying to push on us now all right well uh yeah if you're digging what we're laying out there man go give us a five-star review on whatever platform you're listening to us on give us a follow like subscribe share do all that good stuff we appreciate all you listeners all over the world and uh up up and away we're bringing this thing to the next level we uh we got the remote mic fixed we're going to be doing yeah. some uh, <laughs> tom and i are going to be getting together soon doing some in the same studio we're going to be uh, adding video and uh yeah a lot of shit going on man a lot a lot of watch good out shit. guys my tech uh my tech skills are leveling up watch out apologies if i was ever sounding like shit in some of these old episodes so thanks for uh tolerating my technical difficulties both mike and the listeners if anyone has a topic they want us to cover if yes. they want to be a guest themselves, if you're an expert on something, if you yes. got a guest, reach out to us, message us, even just have a good chat with us. We want to hear some feedback from you guys. Yes, let's get this community going.